Speaking of racism, what are we to do with Confederate monuments, statues, memorabilia, and even the Confederate flag? What do we know about this time in our history? What are the narratives that are circulating today, and how do we know what is true and what is false? On today's show, I'm joined by Charles Johnson from Straight Talk with Charles Johnson, and we are going to talk about the history of the Confederacy, what these symbols mean today, and where they belong. You're listening to Speaking of Racism, the podcast dedicated to frank, honest, and respectful discussions about race and racism in the U.S. I'm your host, Jen Kinney. Pull up a chair and let's talk. Special thanks to Grapes for the music. The song is I Don't Know featuring Jay Lang. On today's show, I am welcoming Charles Johnson. I'm incredibly excited about this guest because in all honesty, the only reason that I'm doing this podcast today is in part because of Charles. So welcome to the show, Charles. Well, it is a pleasure to be with you. And uh, for all your listeners out there, I'm very honored to be a part of their listening experience here on your podcast. Thank you. So today we're actually going to talk about something related to one of your recent Facebook posts. There was quite a conversation going on. This week, Ole Miss student and faculty voted to remove a prominent Confederate statue, and it has caused an uproar. So let's talk about that. Now, I just want to say here that there's still a great deal of confusion over Confederate statues and symbols in public spaces. And there's a lot of just a lot of arguing going on about this. I am from the North, so I didn't think too much about this growing up. And it's only been more recently that I've gotten into anti-racism work and been engaging in the conversation. But a lot of people would say to me that because I was a northerner, I didn't have a proper perspective and that I didn't understand. And essentially, I needed to shut up. So I have somebody here who is from the South. Now, were you born and raised in the South? Uh, Yes, indeed. Born and raised in the South, the uh, hospitality state, the state of Mississippi, a very racially polarized place and has been for my lifetime and my mother's lifetime and my grandmother's lifetime and my great grandmother's lifetime. Her parents were slaves. So, yes, it's been very racially polarizing uh, down there, that type of atmosphere. And growing up in it, I was exposed uh, firsthand to the segregation. And I'll tell you one of my favorite little stories is uh, where I'm from in West Point, Mississippi. The uh, main graveyard in the town is segregated. The black folks are buried on one side. The white folks are buried on the other side. The hatred is so deep. We couldn't even be buried together. And that just gives you an idea of how deep it runs. And so All of these issues are very close to my heart. Yeah. So um, one of the interesting things, too, is you are a conservative. Yes, I am. Politically, I am a conservative, and I have been for as long as I can remember. Now, do you get a lot of kickback from conservatives on this topic? Do you find there's a division between conservatives and liberals, or is it more between white and black? How do you see that? Well, very interesting that you should ask that question. 
I, I deal with it all the time. Uh, I never really faced an issue of my blackness per se in mm-hmm. dealing with others in the conservative movement. Now, black liberals always call black conservatives uh, blackness into question. That happens constantly. But mm-hmm. uh, era of Trump, things change. My support for Bush 43 race wasn't a big deal when John McCain ran. And I did not vote for Barack Obama because of uh, political mm-hmm. differences. Although I do admire President Obama for the man that he was and is. Uh, the family man sets a great example for black boys and black girls all over this world. So I do appreciate that. Uh, I do, however, have policy differences with, well, we're really all liberal politicians. So, you know, uh, Barack Obama's just included in that number. But uh, my blackness, not really an issue when John McCain ran against Obama, when Mitt Romney ran against Obama. But in the era of Trump, things did change. I found myself unable to uh, support President Trump just after Charlottesville, his reaction. That's when I was done. I was like, okay, I'm yeah. a black man. <laughs> I don't care how much policy agreement I have with that guy. I cannot mm-hmm. continue to support him. When he came out and said, there are good people on both sides. No, sir. There are no good people on the side of white supremacy. There are no good mm-hmm. tiki torch carriers, Confederate flag carriers. Nazi Hail Hitler salute bearers. There are no good people on that side. And then is when I realized what was happening here. You know, uh, uh, since my mother's generation, you know, I call it the redneck vote. I don't mean to offend anybody by, by that. <laughs> but but I do call it the redneck vote. These mm-hmm. are your pickup truck driving, Confederate flag waving, Dixie loving, you know, good old boys that don't like black people. I, just to, just to put right. it as succinctly as I possibly can. And they have slick been mm-hmm. voting for Republicans since the Nixon days, really, or really maybe maybe even mm-hmm. the Reagan days. But the mainstream of the party has never embraced them. I'm talking about the mainstream of the party deplores them. They know they vote for them, but they'll never throw them a bone, you know. And mm-hmm. and and John McCain, if you recall when he was running against Barack Obama and, you know, one of the redneck votes stood up and said, "Well, he's an Arab." You oh, remember yeah. that? And then and, yes, and then I Senator do. McCain took the microphone from her. No, no, we're not going to do that. He is a good man, yeah. a decent man, a family man. He is an American citizen, but that was really the first time that the redneck vote in the mainstream Republican Party came face to face on national television. And it was yeah. ugly. It was ugly. You know, these are your birther people. Uh, he's not born right. this country. Uh, uh, Mark Meadows saying, send him, we're going to send him back to Kenya, you know, and then he just has some more racial stuff come up. So we, we're getting to a point where Trump gets in the White House and initially I am a supporter. I'm not going to support right. Hillary Clinton. So I was I was even in my capacity as a media personnel because I've been a, a radio talk show host for years on various uh, radio stations, did political commentary for a local Fox affiliate here in Memphis, Tennessee. So uh, when they mm-hmm. want a Trump guy, that, that was I was that guy. But after Charlottesville, I came face to face with the fact that in the era of Trump, the mainstream Republican Party 
is courting the redneck vote, courting it, throwing them yeah. red meat. And I'm beside myself because back in the Bush days, I was a card carrying Republican. Okay. Going yeah. to events, yeah. going to functions, even invited to speak at functions. And I never encountered mm. this. And I have a deep seated resentment for all things Dixie, as you know. And this was the sure. first time that what well, Trump is bringing all this stuff out. And, and we just may as well just be honest about that. Uh, the mm-hmm. redneck vote is emboldened because Trump will not distance himself from them like the other mainstream Republicans always do. And Trump knows these folks support him and vote for him. He's not going to cross them. And he's gone out yeah. of his way to throw them red meat, which, I, you know, I believe have been dog whistles and, you know, several of those examples. And I could not, after Charlottesville, I could not continue my support. I, I feel like my integrity as a black person, you know, I feel like the mm-hmm. ancestors would frown on me if I continued to support President Trump. And for those personal reasons, I had to distance myself from him and call him out on all this racial stuff. And all this racial stuff that is arising. And when I make posts about it, a lot of my white conservative friends have been even close to me for for years. For years. All of a sudden, I defriended. I'm blocked. Don't want to talk to me. (laughs) Seriously. Uh, but uh, Oh, I believe it. Yeah, but that doesn't matter to me because, I mean, they're not paying any of my bills. So, I mean, (laughs) you know, at the end of the day. uh, But it is interesting. To point out Mm -hmm. how racially polarizing politics can't be all or nothing. It can't be ends justify the means. It can't be anything can be sacrificed. A lot of the policy uh, agendas Mm. that conservatives, including myself, have had for decades. This man, he cannot be the standard bearer of those policies because he is severely compromised, especially on the area of race and also playing loose with the truth. I wasn't necessarily planning on getting into politics as much, but since I have you here and we're talking and you are really an expert in this department, how much did you engage in discussions about racism prior to Trump? And prior to this seemingly like explosive time in our country where we're getting footage every other day of Barbecue Becky and this and that and the other thing. How much did you engage in this prior? I engaged in a discussion of racism whenever it came up. But frankly, it just didn't Mm -hmm. come up as much as it comes up now. And the only difference between then and now is President Donald J. Trump is in the White House. What do you think is going on here? Well, uh, I I tend to separate the racial aspect from the political aspect in this respect, Mm -hmm. because Donald Trump is president because he flipped blue states that had been blue uh, in the case of Michigan and uh, Wisconsin, uh, Pennsylvania. I can't remember the last time a Republican won those states, maybe Ronald Reagan. These states have been blue for quite some time. And the leadership in the capitals of these states is Democratic. Uh, You know, maybe with the exception of Mm -hmm. Wisconsin, you know, uh, they had a Republican governor. But my point is, um, those folks flipped. They voted for Obama twice. 
And then they mm-hmm. voted for Trump. So I don't see a racial element in the political aspect of it. I think Trump's message resonated, number one, about the forgotten man, the forgotten worker. We're going to get the economy back on track. We're going to cut your taxes. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to help you out. More of your own money in your pocket. That message resonates with working mm-hmm. people. And Hillary took those states sure. for granted and didn't even really campaign there because she said, those are already in my column. And she got a rude awakening on election night. So so, so mm-hmm. I don't think that the racial element plays in that respect. But the racial element okay. begins to play in the respect of when you address the issue of illegal immigration. Now, I'm against illegal immigration, but I do believe in a path mm-hmm. forward to citizenship. I believe in helping out the dreamers. So I'm not just extreme right wing on the issue of illegal immigration. But you got a mm-hmm. lot of people. Once again, now I'm going back to the redneck vote, you know. Get them out of here. They don't belong here. Go back to your country. And, and I, it's just unbelievable right. to me that I'm seeing uh, uh, white people going into Mexican restaurants. You don't belong here. Uh, go back. You came in their restaurant to eat their food. What's wrong with you? Wow. And, and you know, we're seeing right. people just whip out the cell phones and start recording and just make these people famous. Yeah. Right. But uh, th- this element right. has been there, but it has been uh, under the skin like li- like a cancer in remission. In fact, I think that's the perfect analogy. It has been a cancer yes. in remission. And uh, President Donald J. Trump, his rhetoric has been the catalyst for bringing it out of remission and uh, making what was once uh, benign. Now it has become malignant. Again, it has become a malignant mm. force and it's going to play out. It's playing out in American politics now uh, with these uh, Republicans and some Democrats that are having racial problems, you know, dressing up in Klan hoods in blackface. <laughs> I mean, can yeah. you imagine? Like, I've, I've been flabbergasted by some of this stuff because I knew it was there, but these folks are getting bold with mm-hmm. it. It's it's coming yeah. on out. Back in back in the year 2000, I was voter registration coordinator for the NAACP, and we had an active campaign going to attempt to remove Dixie from the state flag. And of course, you know, that fight is still ongoing even today in 2019. But back in that time, I would go around and have debates. I had at least three formal debates, uh, but a lot of informal debates uh, about mm why the flag should be removed, why it's important for Mississippi, why the people that want to keep that emblem of oppression on the state flag are wrong. And I would get into these uh, debates and we would have to almost drag people kicking and screaming to participate in these debates. We had to look hard to find them. And so it was just a matter of not being able to find even enough people to really do the debate like we wanted to do it. But now people are bold Hmm. in their defense of Dixie on that flag. They're bold with it. They are in your face. I mean, people Hmm. have straight up gotten into arguments with me, and I've been astonished at the level of boldness, bombacity. They are not ashamed, and they used to be ashamed. So what's the difference between now and then? President Donald J. Trump is in the White House. That's the only discernible difference. They have been emboldened. And we as we have to be together in a unified front, all black people across political lines, uh, because I don't draw politics when it comes to uh, Dixie. I throw politics out the window. 
Uh, yeah. I've been side by side with Black Lives Matter, Black liberals, Black socialists. It's just like Malcolm X said, before you were a Christian, you were Black. Before you were yeah. a Muslim or a Jew, you were Black. Before you were a Republican or a Democrat, you were Black. Before you were a Mason or an Elk, you were Black. And on and on and on it goes. Our Blackness is a unifier mm-hmm. and should be when the ideals that have resulted in our freedom from bondage are under attack and they are under attack every time that flag flies in a public place they're under attack every time a confederate monument is allowed to stand in a public place where black people also pay taxes to support those ideals are under attack And this is why that issue is so important to me. Somebody might say, it's just a piece of cloth or it's just a statue. Doesn't affect your life. If the flag is up there, this is what people have said to me. This is what white conservative friends have Mm -hmm. had the audacity to say to me. And they cannot even process the fact. That I am black. Right. I am a descendant of a slave race in America. Right. How can you be so callous and non-empathetic toward my feeling when I look at those monuments, when I look at that flag? Oh, it, it means that to you. Okay. It doesn't mean that to me. Well, what does it mean to you? Answer me right. this. What did it mean? A better question. What did it mean to the people that created it? Mm -hmm. What did it mean to the people who erected those monuments? Better yet, what did it mean to the people that are on the monument? Yes. And that's what I want to talk about (laughs) because you have a knowledge of history. You have, you, you bring such an awesome perspective to this. One, you are from the South. Two, you are conservative. Three, you are a black man. You can bring an element of truth to this that I can't think of anybody who would be better to speak to this. So you were engaged in a conversation the other day with somebody who was saying, "Uh, you know, what's the big deal? This is history. And so I hear this a lot. I hear like these three major points that the Civil War wasn't really fought over slavery, that if we try to take down these memorials, we're denying our history. And whether it's good or bad, we shouldn't try to erase history. And then you hear this other heritage, not hate. So I would love for you to speak to these points because it sounds like these are the exact same things you hear. And so what is the history of the Confederacy? Yeah. I mean, that's what we got to establish because after the Confederacy was defeated, you know, the old saying, uh, history is written by the victors. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. So the losers in this case sought to rewrite their own history. So it is known as the lost call rhetoric. And any of your listeners, all you got to do is just Google lost calls in Confederacy or lost calls movement. It's basically this group of the daughters of Confederate soldiers. They still have an organization today, sons and daughters of the Confederacy. But uh, these old white ladies got together and decided, you know, we're going to change the perception of our cause for future mm-hmm. generations. And so this is where the brainwashing and the whitewashing began mm-hmm. with the law's cause rhetoric. 
So whenever you hear it's my heritage, not hate, that's lost cause. You're listening to somebody that has been poisoned with lost mm-hmm. cause ideology. Uh, oh, the Civil War wasn't really about slavery. When you hear that, whether the person that says it believes it or not, or understands it or not, or is ignorant of it or not, you're listening to a person whose mind has been poisoned with lost cause rhetoric. The lost cause rhetoric was an agenda that set aside the infiltrate history books, infiltrate schools of thought, infiltrate political parties, and embed these thoughts into the consciousness of the future generations of white people, especially white Southerners. So you have Mm -hmm. these beliefs that are false. They are myths. They are easily disproven. I mean, easily disproven. I mean, it's so easy. I mean, it's just like uh, if you were arguing with somebody that was trying to say the law of gravity was false, or if you was was arguing with somebody who said there is no law of attraction of opposites, (laughs) or if you were, I mean, what goes up must come down, right? Any natural law, it's that easy. I mean, you take an apple, you throw it up in the air, look at it come down. Hi, you're wrong. <laughs> right? <laughs> We've got I mean, a lot of people simple? like that these days, though, unfortunately. Yeah, they're out there. And uh, if oh, they my. love their tradition more than the truth, they will Ooh. not uh, receive even the plainest of facts. The easiest evidence one can go to to disprove lost cause rhetoric. And I feel like white people, black people, all people, uh, that care about the truth and care about racial reconciliation in this country must do their part to combat lost cause rhetoric. Whenever we hear it, when somebody says, oh, the Civil War wasn't really about slavery. Oh, really? OK, well, look at these secession declarations. <laughs> I literally have photocopies of the secession declarations. In my cell phone. Mm. I walk around yeah. with this stuff. I can pull it up. Here, look at my phone. Just read. It. Just read it. Right. When I'm talking to somebody in Mississippi and they say it, read what Mississippi said in 1865. Read it. Mm-hmm. You can't deny the words. I know you, you're trying to think about what your grandmother told you and granddaddy told you and these lies that you were spoon fed traditionally. Read the words for yourself. Read the speech to the first Confederate Congress made by Alexander Stevens, first and only vice president of the Confederacy. He laid out the case plainly why the states seceded from the Union. They believed that it was the not only natural law, but divine truth that the black Mm. race was created to be subservient to the white race. Textbook white supremacy. You cannot say the Confederacy is not formulated for the purpose of preserving white supremacy. Alexander Stevens said at the first uh, Confederate uh, Congress, the Mississippi Secession Declaration. You can look at any of the Southern states, but being from Mississippi, I dealt with Mississippi mostly. And they talk about to preserve the institution of slavery. Alexander Stevens called it their peculiar institution. And he used these words on purpose because slavery was their peculiar institution because most of the world, the Western Mm. world, had already done away with slavery. All the English countries had already done away with. uh, In fact, that's one of the things, and as any student of history will be able to confirm, that's one of the reasons why the South lost 
the Civil War. Mm -hmm. They could not let go of slavery. See, the, the, the South in the Civil War, especially after Gettysburg, when things began to turn, that's the turning point uh, where the South was in a position to try to capture Washington, D.C. by invading from the north. And on that field in Pennsylvania that we call Gettysburg, this is where the tide turned. And you know what the South did? They reached out to European powers. There were hmm. people from European powers, writers, uh, uh, historians, uh, people that are connected politically talking to the South. They would not support the South as long as it supported slavery and depended on slavery because they couldn't, if they could have let go of their slaves, they may have had their separate country. They mm -hmm. may have had, there would have been a United States in the North and the Confederate States of America in the South. And Cuba would have been a part of the Confederacy and those islands would have been a part of the Confederacy. You know, they could have had their dream of a separate country if they could have let go of slavery. But they couldn't let go of slavery because the reason why they came together and formed the Confederacy was to preserve their peculiar, their words, not mine, peculiar institution. And when wow. you consider the fact that they were not going to secede until Abraham Lincoln won the election of 1860 mm -hmm. because Abraham Lincoln, the first Republican president is one of the main reasons why I was politically for many years a Republican. Mm -hmm. Abraham Lincoln and the Republican Party was formed from the ashes of the old Whig Party on an anti-slavery platform. Your abolitionists were Republican. Yeah. And so they were afraid of what would happen to slavery if Lincoln won. And they were heavy in support of Stephen Douglas. And Lincoln even tried to compromise in the in the Lincoln Douglas debates. Again, very important piece of historical reading. Right. You can read it free on the internet. And this is a beautiful thing about the internet. All these documents I'm referencing, these things I'm referencing, you can do a Google, read it free for yourself. And you can yes. see the and truth. And we should be. Yes. And right. you can see the truth. But Lincoln argued if he could keep the union together and preserve slavery, he would. Mm -hmm. I mean, he knew that this was going to come to blood. He didn't want it to come to right. blood. He was reluctantly pulled to the table of war. But the Confederacy mm -hmm. left him no choice. They took up arms against the red, white, and blue. They pointed their rifles at Washington, D.C. One of them went on to shoot the president in the head in a movie theater and assassinated him. This is your heritage? Yeah. This is your heritage? You're an American? You say you're a patriot? You claim to be patriotic this and patriotic that? Salute the flag? Say the national anthem? Get mad when a football player kneels during the national anthem, which is actually a mm -hmm. sign of respect. It's actually a sign of right. respect. It's what soldiers do at the graves of dead soldiers. Mm -hmm. But you get mad. He's disrespecting the flag. But then you'll turn around and have a Confederate flag. And you'll talk about this is your heritage. And those folks took up rifles and pointed them at Washington, D.C. Tried to invade Washington, D.C., capture the White House and imprison the president of the United States. This is what General Robert E. Lee mm. was going to do. This was his plan when he headed into Gettysburg. He was going through Gettysburg, headed to D.C. He was going to end the war. He was going to end the war by capturing Washington, D.C., capturing the president, and ending the war. This is your right. heritage. A heritage <laughs> of treason? Right. But you're proud of it. 
is the well, how many people hypocrisy. who say they're proud of it even are aware of this history? How many people really know this history? Because I'm going to school right now with you. You are teaching me things that I'm not aware of, that I'm ignorant of. And this is just amazing to me. Yeah. I saw I saw a dear Trump supporter back when he was running when I was still a Trump supporter. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I saw a dear Trump supporter at a rally had an American flag. And then right beside it, right here in uh, Millington, Tennessee, when he came to uh, the naval base right up in Millington, Tennessee and had a Confederate flag next to the American flag and talking about Patriots support uh, Donald J. Trump. And you got the treasonous flag mm-hmm. next to <laughs> the American flag. And you patriotic? You are a fool. It's what you are. You're a fool. And yeah. see, I can't, I can't get side by side with people like that. My integrity as a black man will not let me do it. I support tax cuts. I love keeping more of my own money. If the Confederates are out there for tax cuts, guess where Johnson is going? The opposite direction. <laughs> <laughs> Johnson's right. not going to be out there. Now, if it comes up for a vote or in support or if I'm participating in a poll, which now that I'm no longer an official member of the media, I can participate in polls. Oh, I mean, I give my honest answers. I, I do support tax cuts. But am I going to be out mm-hmm. there with Confederate folks arguing for tax cuts? Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I can't. I can't be seen with those people. Because of my identity as a black man. And if they had any amount of respect for me, they would at least have empathy for my point of view. They would at least have the decency to say, there's a black man. Let me put this up. You know what I mean? Yeah. But they don't. Yeah. Because they, this is my heritage. Your heritage fought to keep my people in chains. If it was up to your heritage, I would have been born a slave. Since I'm a light-skinned black man, I'd have been in the house, but still a slave. This is your heritage? Lord have mercy. Yeah, It it, it speaks to where we are as a country and where we Mm -hmm. are as a national consciousness. I believe that the administration of Donald J. Trump, the presidency of Donald Trump, I think is dumbing down the political discourse. I don't think think anybody can argue the opposite of that. The the political discourse is dumbed down. I mean, when mm-hmm. we were, uh, when Obama was in office, and once again, I, I never was an Obama supporter. I appreciated him for the historical figure to black people who he was, decent, graceful black man, of course, all of the personal stuff. I like Obama as a person. I would go out to dinner with him, have a beer with him, whatever. Uh, yep. Obama's a good guy, okay? Disagree mm-hmm. with his politics, but he's a good guy. But there's no way, no way that when Obama was in the White House, that we could be talking about payments to porn stars. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that we could be right. talking about all these indictments of his campaign personnel. If we would even have to wonder, what did the president know and when did he know it? Mm-hmm. Special prosecutor appointed investigating possible collusion with the Russian government, which I don't believe that that's a real thing. I haven't seen any evidence verifying it. But the mere fact that it's out there, do you, do you honestly think that if Obama was near, I'm not even saying it would if Obama did it, but if Obama was even near any of this stuff, I mean, we used to criticize, oh and I say we because I was a conservative radio talk show host. We used to criticize <laughs> Obama for things like saying Marine Corps instead of Marine Corps. 
<laughs> we used to criticize Obama for things like not having a flag lapel. We used to criticize Obama. Those are the for days. Women. We used to criticize Obama. I didn't criticize Obama this, but Sean Hannity was uh, talking about a, a loud, a bright colored tan suit that Obama had on at a solemn occasion. I mean, these are the things that we were talking about in the Obama administration. Right. Now we're talking about pay- hush payments to porn stars. Uh, now yeah. we're having a uh, race rise and people getting run over by white supremacists. Now we're having the police called on black folks for frivolous reasons. We're seeing a, an uptick in violence uh, against unarmed minorities by police officers all over this country. The conversations mm-hmm. that we are having, I would much rather be having the conversations we were having during the Obama administration than these conversations. I'd much rather be talking about him not having on a lapel pin and him saying Marine Corps instead of Marine Corps. Right. Then what we're talking about here now. Here we are. Yeah. We are in a we are in a bad place. You know, the great thing about America is that one day we're going to have another president. One day we're going to have another oh. debate. One day we're going to have another election. That's the beautiful thing right. about America. These things move on. America was mm-hmm. constructed so that one administration, one president couldn't break the country. Trump yeah. cannot break America. So I, a lot of my Democrat friends and liberal friends all into conspiracy theories about uh, one of my liberal friends told me, will he really give up power? I said, now stop. Hold yeah. the phone. Hold the phone. <laughs> because there were crazy conservatives and right wingers that were saying the same thing about Obama when he was leaving office. Will he give up power? I remember. Oh, yep. of course he's gonna. Of course he's gonna give. He up was power. the Antichrist, Charles. Yeah, Come on, Antichrist. you heard that. I, I forgot the name of the, those Bible folks that put that Bible show on NBC. And when they were, you, you know, when the devil was coming to the temptation of Christ, and he looked just uh-huh. like Barack Obama. <laughs> was it Rexella? Yeah, yeah, Rexella. <laughs> and look, and look just like Barack Obama. I'm like now, nah, you got the devil with an Obama face on. Could you be right. any more? transparent pathetically transparent uh and the racism was going on against obama uh and i was not i I was not ignorant of that but at the same time and i I would get very uncomfortable in some conservative circles uh when Mm -hmm. we talking about policy now i'm with you i'm with you on you know tax Mm -hmm. increases uh expansion of abortion rights i don't believe in these things i'm against these things i argue against these things but when you go to talking about he's not from this country, he was born right. in Kenya and some his Kenyan family said this, that and the other and making a conspiracy out of that. The birth certificate. Show me your birth certificate. Oh, yeah. You know what that sounded like to me? Uh, yeah. Negro, let me see your papers. Let me see your freedom papers. Right. Yeah. And Very the way racist. that Michelle Obama was, oh, yeah. the way that Michelle that. Obama was criticized oh, yeah. for her looks. Oh, yeah. She's a that, man. That to me, she's I honestly. Man. She's a tranny. Mm-hmm. She's a man. Right. Very uncomfortable. She's gorgeous. Yeah. And I, I, yeah. I think she's gorgeous. And I. And yeah. I spoke out about that. I said, "Now look, now, no, we yeah. not gonna be nothing. We we going into a racist uh, yeah. realm when we leave mm-hmm. policy and we start talking about does Obama belong here? <laughs> yep. And we start talking about where his wife is a man. Oh, and yep. Oh, and when she uh uh didn't admit it in, in her book, she didn't give live birth to her uh children." Oh, they, it, it all it started over again. 
2007 and 2008 started all over again when they read that. Oh, I didn't hear about book. that. Yeah. And, you know, okay. lots of people don't give natural birth to their natural children. You know, people using vitro surrogate mothers, they have all kinds of ways to put the baby together and deliver the baby, but it's still your baby. Even if somebody else has right. it, it's biologically your baby. But I don't even yeah. get into those arguments. I really don't. I avoid those arguments because those arguments are racist. Those are racist arguments. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people on the right make and have made racist arguments. Even going back to uh, Ronald Reagan talking about the welfare queen, you know, mm -hmm. stereotypical, lazy, black, oh, yeah. single parent, uh, mm -hmm. no man in the house on welfare. Oh, but let's talk about the percentage of all welfare recipients that that is. And the majority right. of welfare recipients are white people. Mm -hmm. Oh, so it doesn't quite gel. So, but why was mm -hmm. that yet repeated and yet it persisted? That's racism. And I try to, I try to get people on the right to see it because they say, well, we got yeah. the truth politically. So I'm like, well, you should be able to see these other things right here. You should be able to see this gerrymandering trying to get the black folks out of this district so the Republican can get it because the black folks normally vote for the Democrat. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's racism. I mean, I, I, try, I try my hardest right. to say that, that these things are racism. You know, we right. can criticize Obama without getting racist. You can support Donald right. Trump without being racist. You can. Right. But when you uh, put on the MAGA hat, this was my problem with Kanye and uh, Candace Owens. And, uh, mm. and I could, you know, insert other random oh my gosh. Uh, celebrity black conservatives. I call them celebrity black conservatives. Even, you know, Candace Owens yeah. is an Internet celebrity, but a celebrity oh, nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, mm -hmm. People love to talk about Candace, you know, but what about the one black woman who supports Trump? It's like, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and like that. Like that means something like in the Michael Cohen hearing when they trotted out this black. HUD employee. Oh, right. Trump's a racist. Well, what's she doing uh, with the job? Oh, I'm so <laughs> right. disgusted. You know, if I didn't pay so much oh. money for that big flat screen, my shoe almost went into it. I was so <laughs> enraged and incensed at the callous, yeah. the callous tokenism. Right. That was, and it was, they boldly did it like they were, those Republicans were completely clueless. Yes. As to right? that being wrong. And then when one of the right. Congress, when one of the Democratic Congresswomen tried to confront that, and I appreciate mm -hmm. her, can't recall her name right now off the top of my head, but I appreciate her for doing that, even though I don't agree with her politics either. But I do appreciate her <laughs> taking a stand on that. She's like, come on, this is racist. Right. When you say, oh, Trump's uh, not racist, what's this black woman doing with a job? Really? <laughs> I don't mean racist. to laugh, but it gets to a point, right? Yeah, Where yeah. you're like, is this a Saturday Night Live sketch? Yeah. You know, like, what the heck is going on? Yeah. And, then, and then he got mad. He got upset. Right. He got mm -hmm. mad. How yeah, he dare did. you? Wait a minute. Right. You, you <laughs> got to know that the I'm not racist, I have a black friend card is so played out. Is so 1980s. Leave that in the 1980s. I got a black uh, friend. I'm not racist. Right. Stop doing that. Stop it with the tokenism. 
You know, you having right. your token Negro does not make you not racist. And then people say, well, I'm not racist. I'm married to a black. I'm mm-hmm. married to a black man. They were saying about uh, 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 Tommy uh, Lauren that uh, she dated this black guy. <laughs> She's not racist. Look at Ann Coulter. Uh-huh. Her boyfriend <laughs> is uh, a JJ from Good Time. What? Yeah. That was, I don't know if they still what? together, but that was her boyfriend for, for forever. <laughs> They dated no. for years. And I don't know if they still I grew dating. up watching Good but Times. Yeah. That kind of well, breaks my heart a little bit. JJ and, <laughs> and, JJ and Ann Coulter. <laughs> but what? But what uh. I'm saying is, just because you had sex with a black person does not make you not racist. If that's the case, all the slave masters with all the mixed kids that they brought into the world as slaves, mind you, their half-whiteness did not save them from a life of unpaid servitude. <laughs> right. It's just a, well, the slave masters weren't racist by that designation. But right. we know that exactly. they were racist. Of course, duh, because they believe that the white race was superior to the black race and that gods, they put this on God. And I can't say that enough. Uh-huh. They, they, did, they, they were making uh-huh. an argument from natural law and from divine law. They put this on God. They said God created the black race to be subservient mm-hmm. to the white race. You mean to tell me those people are not racist just because they have sex with black people? Uh, racism is not designated by who you sleep with. It's not designated right. by who your friends are. It's not designated mm-hmm. by who you work with. This wickedness, this utter depravity of the human heart that we call racism. We must confront mm-hmm. it and we must eliminate it at all costs. If we are to get along and be together as Americans and as fellow humans in this society. Yeah. And I think one of the most important threads is history and understanding history. So learning about this, and I think we're being drawn into it with this discourse over what Ole Miss did right. and what they decided on and the big controversy that that is. And so one of the things you and I have talked about in the past is our appreciation for Germany and how they dealt with their memory and their history of yes. the Nazis. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, a lot of people have never been to Germany. I've right. been to Germany. You've been to Germany. There are no mm-hmm. public displays of Nazism. Adolf Hitler, none of it. They got a museum that they'll keep it in. You go there if you want to look at it, learn about it. It's important to learn about. Once again, nobody's trying to erase history, folks. That's yes. a that's a deflection, a distortion, yes. empty yep. rhetoric. Nobody's trying <laughs> to erase history. How silly. But we do want history to be in its proper perspective. We don't want to uplift or glorify evil history. We don't want to look upon it with fondness. We don't want to look upon it with nostalgia and wonder what if that had gone the other way? What if the South had won more? Dixie shall, Dixie shall rise again. I used to, uh, when I was going to Mississippi State and I, and I dated a young lady that went to Ole Miss. And back in these days, now, they were not the land sharks and the black bears, you know. Back in this day, they had uh-huh. Colonel Reb. You know, the whole stadium were waving Confederate battle flags. And they were singing the Dixie hymn. And they would always get big and bold with the part of the song that 
uh, says that Dixie shall rise again. Uh, How uncomfortable do you think I was as a black man? I didn't even really want to go, but I told my girlfriend at the time, well, you know, it's our tradition. We go to each other's egg bowls. So. All right, I'll go, but I just, I don't feel comfortable around those people. I, I don't want my children around those people. Uh, and mm-hmm. those are the people that we're talking about. That is the redneck vote. And they do vote. <laughs> and they are active politically. Yeah. Uh, but their heritage, when they say it's not hate, it's a heritage of hate. Right. You made that point when, when we were talking online with that one guy. You said, you know, because he tried to rebuff what you were saying in a sense by saying, oh, okay, so that's your perspective. But other people have a different perspective. Yeah. And your point to him was there, nobody will accept that with Nazi Germany. Nobody's going to accept this notion right, that, no well, <laughs> that's that's just their, the Jews' perspective yeah, or the world's that's how perspective. They interpret. That was right. That was Nazi pride. You know, Hitler promised a job right. for every German. <laughs> What's wrong with that? Right. You know, what's amazing to me is when we went to Germany this last time, and for some reason, I always forget, um, but I'm not going to forget anymore. And particularly now that I've stepped into this work in racial reconciliation and anti-racism, we were touring around in Munich and over 80% of the buildings in Munich were destroyed during the war. Right. And they were rebuilt to scale, exact model. And what was amazing and I love this about Germany is they leave a small portion of the old building and they do so as a reminder so that they will never forget. Yes. That is one. And then the other thing, because they have a lot of people who are moving into Germany and one of the requirements for all people who are going to become citizens of the country is that they have to tour and they have to learn all about Nazi history. Yes, they do. And then if you are a high schooler, in order to graduate, you have to go and you have to visit one of the uh, concentration camps. And you also have this history. Right. So not one person in that country is ignorant about the horrors right. and the atrocities that took place. And yet in the United States of America, right. Countless, countless, countless people have absolutely no connection, right. no understanding of history. And we know that history repeats itself. Right. right? We, can, we can learn from Germany in that regard. It should be required. A citizenship requirement to a civil rights museum, National Civil Rights Museum. They opened up the National Amen. Lynching Museum. Yep. Uh, we need mm-hmm. to know that, yeah, there were people that were standing around a tree watching a man be hung that had mm-hmm. no trial, no right to a jury defense, no right to a jury trial, no right to a defense from an attorney. None of that. His rights. That were guaranteed to him by the Constitution were denied for whatever frivolous reason. And that the people that watched him hang had their children out there and they took pictures. They took selfies. Those are the original selfies. Yeah. They took selfies mm-hmm. with the dead black body hanging from the tree in the background. Uh, used them as mm-hmm. postcards in some cases. I mean, the, the, uh, the, the, the children of those people are still here in 2019, elderly, but right. still here. And so that's a, one of the questions I ask. Where, where did all those people go? This is what you don't ask. When you see the videos of uh, the Arkansas black kids integrating the school, the white mobs that were mm-hmm. out there harassing mm-hmm. a little black girl. I mean, really mm-hmm. spitting at her, throwing things at her, 
where those people go? They didn't all just die. Amen. Some of those people still around. I was down at a church in uh, Philadelphia, Mississippi, and I had just watched Mississippi burning for the 50th time, probably. And I just mm-hmm. thought to ask him, I said, you know, those folks still, still live right here? He said, yeah, the, the sheriff that was character was depicted in the movie. He lived right around the corner from the church. They, 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 they live, wow. they live around these people. He served his little 10 years and got out a long time ago. And these folks are, they're living with these people. And it just, it made my skin crawl. I said, my God, could I do that? Could I Mm -hmm. live by those people? And then I thought about it. I said, I don't even know if I don't live near those. How do I know? How do Mm -hmm. I know my oldest son took a white young lady to junior high prom? Mm -hmm. I don't know if her grandparents saw a black man hang from a tree or if they marched with Dr. King. I don't know. Right. But there's that danger element in there that we feel for our children in those situations. Some might call it paranoia, but it's really not paranoia. It's a it's a genuine concern. It's a genuine concern. Mm -hmm. And then I've had on the opposite end of the spectrum, you know, black people in my family. You know, you can have sex with all the white girls you want. Don't bring one home. Mm hmm. Don't bring one home. That's being a sellout. So I just wanted to illustrate the, that, that the race issues that we have to work through, it's, on, it's in both races. It's on both sides. Of course, there's a power mm-hmm. dynamic to racism, but bigotry, being a bigot, there are black bigoted people against white people. There are Hispanic bigoted people against black people. So we got to be careful. We got to be careful how we deal with people and uh, how we address people. And uh, we have to be, we have to have empathy. That's one of the things I love about you. Let me toot your horn for a minute. You're a very empathetic <laughs> person. And uh, you can tell that your heart is in what you're doing. And that's uh, one of the reasons why I'm very honored to have this discussion with you to be on your podcast. Because I, I feel that. like I feel like you can change mine. I yeah. feel like uh, I feel like you can change lives. I feel like uh, white people can listen to what you're saying that are Confederate sympathizers, Dixie lovers, what have you. Right. Sometimes they maybe can hear it a little better from you than they can from me uh, because they might have that color barrier and you could help them uh, to have a desire to learn more, to educate themselves and maybe to even think their way out of that brainwashing and whitewashing that is lost cause. Rhetoric. Yeah, I mean, I certainly hope and and I feel like that is a possibility. Uh, for sure. But I, I really believe strongly that one of the biggest things we can do, too, is continue to educate people on history. Because right. when I started coming into this, I mean, I grew up, I was very libertarian, very conservative. I grew up listening to Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity. And I really thought of myself as somebody who was opposed to racism. But at the same time, like looking back on that, my, you know, myself 20 some years ago, I held so many very racist views in the sense that I believed being colorblind was the key. And I thought that Jesse Jackson was a bad person. And I realize now looking back, all of these narratives that I had been fed and I thought I came to on my own were narratives that had been fed to me through the foundation of white supremacy, through a lack of understanding history. And so as I started really interacting with people and becoming friends with people of color and really 
learning. Right. I was absolutely mind, like my mind was blown because I, I had a good education. I loved history. I studied history. I had so little understanding of history yeah. and it was embarrassing, but I realized that's by design. Right. Of course it is. Yeah. And and I was I mean, I, I still listen to Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity on occasion. Uh, I wouldn't call myself their biggest fan. And I, of course, sure. you know, disagree with them 100 percent of the time when they get on race issues because right. they because they perpetuate that insensitivity to the plight. And I would get exposed to this even around uh, some of my white conservative friends. When the issue would get on race issues, which it would rarely because they like to say that they're colorblind, which I believe is racist in and of itself. Yes. Uh, how can you how can you be colorblind? I once joked with one of my uh, white conservative friends and we still friends, uh, even mm-hmm. though, you know, he gets a little agitated when I when I do this. But <laughs> we were, we were driving together one time in a car and he said, man. I just, you know, I think we need to get together just as racist. You know, he thought he was being altruistic and uh, right. and uh, spitting off some enlightenment. And I was just sitting there right. keeping my silence, just listening. <laughs> and then, then he came out with that. You know, I th- just think that we need to be colorblind. You know, I'm colorblind. I don't see color. I said, well, why are you slowing down for that red light? You don't see color. <laughs> what if I told you that red light was green? What if I told you it didn't matter what color that light was? Amen. Just drive how you feel. It don't matter what color that light is. Yeah. He said, man, you're being silly now. I said, no, I'm not being silly. I'm really, if you really think about what I'm saying, I'm really making a point. Right. Because it's preposterous for you to look at that stop, for you to look at that traffic light and say the color don't matter mm-hmm. or you don't see color. In fact, it's dangerous because guess what's going to happen when you think like that? You're going to cause an accident. Ooh. That's exactly what happens. When you talking to me, a black man, and you say you don't see color, you don't see my color. That's the first thing you see when you look at me. And along with seeing that color comes a certain set of perceptions that you need to do some self-examination to ask yourself, are those correct? Are those Mm -hmm. correct? You need to examine that. You need to evaluate that. What do you think about? Because you, they have stereotypes they don't like to admit it but they do that's the whole problem you know what i mentioned earlier with ronald reagan and the welfare queens right you know your typical lazy black single parent no that's not the norm of welfare recipients right that's not even close to the norm percentage wise when you look at the numbers we got to stop conservative white conservative friends we got to stop saying we don't see color yeah you do see color stop Mm -hmm. it stop the madness but to acknowledge that you see color is to have to come to grips with the fact that disparity in american law and jurisprudence has been based upon color when slavery ended i mean we can even walk it back to 1865 when slavery Mm -hmm. ended They were going to do reparations. They were going to do reparations. They had a plan. Lincoln had a plan. His secretary of war had a plan. General Sherman had a plan. General Grant had a plan. They were going to take 400,000 acres going down the eastern coast. Lands that had been rightfully forfeited by plantation owners 
who sided with the Confederacy and took up arms against their government. Mm -hmm. They forfeited what they had. It was seized as spoils of war. And that land was going to be redistributed to newly freed slaves. That's the origin of your 40 acres and a mule thing. That's the origin. Right. That's the origin of it. And Abraham Lincoln, Secretary of War, went to talk to black leaders. This is not well known. He asked them. And most of them were were, uh, black preachers uh, who were the leaders of our community back then. And he asked them, what what can we do for your people that will best help your people? And one of the Baptist uh, preachers that was there, one of the black leaders, the Baptist preacher was there. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but all this can be Googled. But you know what he said to Abraham Lincoln, Secretary of War? Hmm. He said, give us land, give us land Hmm. and let us and let us. Earned by our own work, our living. And then he said, give us that land. And then he said, leave us to ourselves. He said, because there is a lot of hate against black people in the South. This is what it said. The plan was in place. This was Mm going to happen. And it was going to break the back of the old Confederacy. Mm. It was going to permanently disable the Confederacy. All the more reason why Lincoln's military wanted to do it. They Mm. wanted to do this. You know what happened? Yeah. Well, you know what happened. Yeah. Man by the name of John Wilkes Booth went into a movie theater, had gotten intel that the president was going to be there, lightly guarded, walked up to the president, put a gun to the back of his head and pulled a trigger. And that's Mm. what stopped it. Because Andrew Johnson, who was Lincoln's vice president, see, back then it wasn't like the day you pick your running mate, y'all believe pretty much the same thing. Right. Back back then it was the opposite. You picked the other guy that was popular so that you could bring the country together. That's what you did mm-hmm. back then. So Lincoln's selection of Andrew Johnson proved to be disastrous for black people because once he was assassinated, the reparations plans that were already in motion were stopped cold Mm. turkey because andrew johnson was a big confederate sympathizer likely a confederate himself and he wound up of course becoming the first president to ever get impeached but that's a whole nother story uh, because he was hopelessly corrupt but andrew johnson stopped it and then Mm. the confederates that fought against this country and rightfully forfeited their private property through government seizure as spoils of war. That land was redistributed back to those former plantation owner Confederates that fought against this country. So you mean to tell me that the newly freed slaves were denied reparations, but the folks that fought and lost got Mm. Yeah. That's how twisted wow. this thing is. That's how twisted this thing is. So when people talk about well, reparations, reparations, why are you for reparations? I've been for reparations as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. But it's just a matter of, you know, because then when I ask people, first question I ask them, they say, well, you've never been a slave. Uh, <laughs> I've never been a slave owner. You know, the same rhetoric of, you know, what you mm-hmm. say about the Confederate emblems. It's the same spirit. And, you know, right. when you're dealing with that, you say, well, I asked them a simple question. I said, well, in, in 1865, would you have supported it? Almost all of them say yes. Yeah, those were mm-hmm. the actual slaves. Yeah, we were supported. I said, okay, what are you going to do with the fact that they were going to do it and it was denied? Right. Because the president got shot in the head and the yeah. vice president was a Confederate. So he gave the land back to the Confederates. 
And that kept mm-hmm. Dixie's power base in play after the Civil War, which of course led to Jim Crow, which of course eventually led to redlining, which of course led to the formation of the Ku Klux Klan. Their power base was the land. That's why when Lincoln's Secretary of War went and talked to those black leaders and asked them, what can we do for your people? They said, give us land. They understood that land equals power. Land equals power. The ability to cultivate your own wealth from the ground and to pass Mm -hmm. it down to your generations. This is power. They knew this. The newly freed slaves knew this. Mm-hmm. The Lincoln administration knew this. That's why they carved out 400,000 acres of land, coastal land. How much would wow. that be worth today? How much money right. would that land be worth in 2019? Let me ask you a question. I know we weren't necessarily going to go in this direction, but what would you, um, what would reparations look like today? Yeah. Well, reparations, uh, of course, I'm, I'm not, I'm not in favor of writing check, even though I'm not necessarily opposed to it, but I don't think that's the best (laughs) way to do it. That's not the best way to do it. But if they say Uh this is how we're going to do it, I'm not going to say, no, we're not going to do it that way. But, Mm -hmm. uh, the best way to do it would be to assist, to give black people assistance in owning land, to make them property Mm -hmm. owners. This is your number one appreciating asset in any portfolio. Real Mm -hmm. estate passes down to your progeny, generation to generation. It can build generational wealth. And this is what has created the wealth gap between black people and white people ever since slavery. Then they took us to Jim Crow. Then they took us to redlining where they confined us to certain parts of town, less desirable pieces of property. And uh, Mm -hmm. this is all contributed to the state of black America. And this Mm -hmm. is what we have to get right. So it's got to be something dealing with land. I'm in the spirit of my ancestors that talked to Abraham Lincoln, secretary of war. I'm in that same Mm -hmm. spirit. Give us land. But in this case, I'm not Mm -hmm. saying give us land. (laughs) I'm saying help us to qualify to get land. Help us to Mm -hmm. get land, whether it's in the form of tax incentives, even outright mortgage assistance. I wouldn't even be opposed to that. But uh, they need to do something to help us get land. Land equals power. Land equals wealth. Land equals generational wealth accumulation, which rate which institutional racism in this country has denied the black people and the descendants of black slaves from generating wealth, because this is what Dixie understood. There, mm-hmm. there will be some blacks that will be the exception, but as a whole, the black race will remain subservient as long as we don't let them get land and as long as we don't let right. them vote. <laughs> so those were the two things. And these two items were at the top of the Ku Klux Klan agenda, which was a militant terrorist, domestic terrorist organization with two mm-hmm. main goals. They didn't want black people to own hardly any land. Mm-hmm. The ones, you know, with, with few exceptions, they didn't want in mass black people owning land. And they didn't want black people to vote because the Mm -hmm. land and the vote is the power. So even though slavery was discontinued, what I've told my white conservative friends many times, yes, the slavery was in 1865. But that principle of the black race being subservient to the white race, as long as they were able to deny us land and deny us the vote, they kept us subservient. They kept us subservient after slavery. We were no threat to them politically because we didn't have land, because we didn't have the vote, even though the 15th Amendment said we had to vote. But the Klan organized to intimidate black people out of vote. You go to Mm -hmm. a polling place, uh, 
Next thing you know, you're hanging from a tree publicly in the middle of town right. square just to show the other black people. This is what happens when you try to vote or they set a jar mm-hmm. of jelly beans and then they say, hey, count the number of these jelly beans and I give you a ballot. Mm. You know, this was the systematic uh, racism that took place on down through generations that continue to deny the former slave race in this country, continue to deny us access to wealth accumulation, which is what right. lifts generations out of poverty. And a lot of the money, especially in the South, is old white money. It directly has to do with slavery. Some of these old banks been around since the 1800s. They have directly benefited from slavery. So who pays the reparations? You can start with some of them. We can provide a trail of documents. We can name names. Because let me tell you what also happened is black people that own land will run off their land. That's another thing that happened. Because we can have black people owning land. So, I mean, Mm. in some cases, black people owned entire towns. Yeah, and towns were burned to the ground. Yeah, well, we talk about Rosewood burning to the ground. We could talk right? about Tulsa, Oklahoma, the Black Wall Street. We had created our mm-hmm. own stock exchange mm-hmm. based upon what we knew about what the white people were doing. They wouldn't even let us have that. They had to burn mm-hmm. that down. Some say it was bombed from above. I watched an old documentary that talked to some survivors of Tulsa, huh. and they talked about fire falling from the sky. Interesting. They think that they think that the government bombed it. I think I remember hearing that <laughs> so, as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this is coming from eyewitness accounts. Uh, but, uh, you know, of course, it's going to be hard to cooperate that. But I believe that, sure. you know, anybody that's been a victim deserve to tell their story. I fully, I fully support that. So let's let them tell their story. And they've told it. And then to get into redline where they wouldn't make mortgage loans to certain uh, in certain areas and neighborhoods. Uh, for black people. They want to keep us isolated in certain parts of town. So you have the development of the black side of town. You can't get land on the white side. You can get land on the black side and red line. Right. And the banks were uh culprits in this along with working hand in pocket with the government to allow white people access to mortgages, but to disallow black people access to those same mortgages. <laughs> Exactly. Well, and this is what makes me so angry when I hear people, and this is so common in the conservative circles, you know, just pick yourself up by the bootstraps and and make something of yourself and do these things. And they're so arrogant because the thing I think about is my wealth, my ability to self-actualize, my ability to go to school, all of the things I experienced were direct relation to what my parents were able to experience because of what their parents experienced. Yeah. It's like when they went into a bank to apply for a loan, they got got approved, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's like the arrogance of people who sit today and say these things, it's so frustrating and infuriating. It's it's very frustrating. It's very mind numbing. Uh, Yeah. And, you know, when, I mean, like I said, I've got a lot of white conservative friends. They say things like this. And then I say, well, I mean, my boots didn't come with laces. Right. So how can I lace them up? My boots didn't come with straps. How can I strap them up? My boots didn't even come with a tongue. In fact, in some cases, my boots only Mm. came with a heel at the bottom. Mm -hmm. And I had to go make up my own tie to tie my foot to the bottom of the boot just to be able to walk. And so mm-hmm. that just speaks to the ingenuity of black people making something out of nothing. But that Amen. is completely unrelated to the exactly. government's culpability and responsibility yeah. in these banking institutions, culpability and responsibility with the institutional discrimination 
that took place against the black race post-slavery, post-slavery, because mm-hmm. a lot of white conservatives' memory only go back to 1865. There ain't been no slaves right. since 1865, but you got to keep right. in mind the principle of that was to keep the white race superior to the black race and to keep the black race subservient to the white race. So guess what? A lot mm-hmm. of those after the 40 acres fell through after the 400,000 acres of land reparations after that fell through after Lincoln got shot in the head. Uh, guess what? A lot of black people had to wind up doing. They mm-hmm. had to wind up going back to the plantation owner and resuming working on the plantation, except now you paying me. But it was against the law for me to learn how to read. Mm-hmm. It was against the law for me to learn how to count. So it's easy right. for you to cheat me on my wages. And that's another yeah. aspect of reparations that I get into wage loss. Not only yeah. did you work me for these, you know, hundred and a half years of zero wages and uh posterity and progeny were born unpaid servants born unpaid never mm. got paid their whole life uh this is like if we did a workers compensation claim or if we did mm. a, a a lost wages claim today in a civil court uh, th- these are the kind of equations that we will go through the number of years that the uh, for example the overtime uh, being deprived from a lot of workers and then they go to the labor board and sue the labor board is trying to figure out how many hours will work uh, uh how much uh, overtime was accumulated how much overtime should have been paid but was not paid and they come up with a dividend based upon a, a mathematic equation we can do something similar for slavery we can come up with a dollar amount we can come up with lost wages we can look at the daylight hours because that's when they work so we can look at the daylight hours we can uh, come up with a relative wage comparison 2019 to the uh to the 1800s we can do an equation on that come up with a dollar amount we can apply that to uh education we can create a special education grant for the descendants oh, of slaves yeah. make it like a pale grant money you don't have to pay back take that the dividend that comes up or the the solution that comes from that equation on the on the lost labor we could apply that to uh, education grants. We could apply to mortgage relief. Uh, we could apply to student loan relief. Uh, you know, we could apply to any number of things that would help yeah. improve the lives of black people in the here and now. And even the United Nations agreed it needs to be done. One of the reasons why I believe Malcolm X was assassinated because he was in the process of working with leaders of other nations when he was assassinated. He was in the process of working with leaders from other nations to go to the United Nations and make a presentation to for the United Nations to sanction the United States and make them pay reparations. Wow. And as a conservative, it's such an interesting I, I just I think your voice is so incredibly valuable because you are a conservative and you can speak to this and people are going to be like, oh, my gosh, I can't just say, oh, well, he's a snowflake he's just a crazy liberal. liberal. He's just a socialist. Like <laughs> right. Because, right. Because, because I'm oh. not I'm not asking for anything free. Right. I'm not asking right. something for nothing. I'm asking for right. what's old, not only what's old. But what was promised, but because the president that promised it, who ironically was the first Republican president who promised it. It mm. was the first Republican president's secretary of war that went to this thing and set it up. The reason why they use the secretary of war, because that land had been seized as the spoils of war. Land forfeited because they fought against their country. So land and possessions forfeited. So that was the question of what are we going to do with this land? 
Well, mm-hmm. let's resettle the newly freed slaves on it. Mm. It it helps not only with reparations that are old, but it also helps with the race problem because we're gonna put these black people over here. They want to be over here on their own land so that they're not victimized by white hatred. Mm. So we, you know, I think it worked for 1865, and it could have worked. But because the president right. got shot in the head and the Confederate took over the White House and he's the command in chief of the armed forces, he put a stop to all the work that the secretary of war had done. He put a stop to all that and gave the land back to the enemies of this country. Hmm. They got reparations. <laughs> the yeah, enemies so of let the me country ask- got reparations. Yeah, that's they amazing. Let me even, ask you this. Even to, get, even to get compensated for the loss of property through losing their slaves, they got some for that also. That's amazing. So let me ask you, are there any candidates right now who are even talking about reparations? And do you foresee any Republican candidates coming forward in this way with this idea? Do you have any hope for <laughs> no. that? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sad to say, I mean, keep in mind, I was a Republican for many years. This is uh, this is the party of Frederick Douglass. I used to be a Frederick Douglass Republican. Uh, this is the uh-huh. party of Lincoln. This is the party that the abolitionists were in. This was the party that ran its first uh, successful uh, presidential campaign, that of President Abraham Lincoln, on an anti-slavery platform. This was the mm-hmm. administration, the first Republican administration in the history of the United States that sent its secretary of war to talk to black leaders to come up with a reparations plan that had this reparations plan in place of 400,000 acres of land where your 40 acres in a mule Monica comes from. You reminded me that there is a change of guard coming eventually, whether it happens in 2020 or it happens in the next there will eventually be a change of guard. Listen, listen, Trump is not liked by the Republican establishment. I keep telling people this. They say, well, it's Trump's party. It's not, it's not Trump's party. The party doesn't like Trump. They don't. They never have. In fact, that's one of the rants. Sean, how did they go on a Republican establishment rant and how much they don't like Trump? If you listen to him, you probably don't want to listen to him long enough to hear him say that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, you know, but I mean, I hear this said. I've heard Rush Limbaugh say it about the disdain that the Republican right. establishment has for Donald Trump. You know, once he's like a cult leader, once it goes off the scene, it'll be some it'll be somebody else. Sure. Sure. But when he leaves, we still have the citizenry of the United States of America. And right now, what we see, like you've talked a lot about is this rise of Dixie in a sense. Yes. Yes. And, yes. Dixie and rising. Attention to uh, a lot of racism. And so what do we do with that? Like for people who are listening to this, for people who are going to go forward and engage discussions on why it is good to remove Confederate statues, why the Confederate flag is not a symbol of heritage, but in fact, a symbol of hate. I feel like we have equipped people to be able to go forward and speak intelligently on that, which is awesome. But what more, if anything, can people be doing yeah. to to enter into this? Sharing, sharing facts, sharing facts. Uh, each one teach mm-hmm. one. There's an each one teach one uh, mentality. Start sharing the facts with your family and your close friends. Go on Google, mm-hmm. do a little screen capture of the relevant portions of the secession documents of all the states in the Confederacy. Do like me, keep them on your cell phone. So you can awesome. pull them up and show people. 
So when you're on social media and somebody posts some of this uh, mythic made up lost cause Confederate whitewashing rhetoric revisionist history, all you got to do is post a pic. You can post a pic Mm -hmm. of the relevant portion of the secession declaration of Mississippi, for example. When I'm on, I go on uh, news news sites like the Mississippi uh, news stations. They got Facebook pages where they post this stuff. I go on there and just throw a picture of the Mississippi Secession Declaration on there. Just let people read. I don't even have to put no commentary. I don't have to put That's any awesome. commentary. I just put the pic up there. Mm-hmm. I, I find the comment that contains the lost cause rhetoric and I pop the pic on it right under there. And people read yeah. it and they say, wait a minute. What this dude said, what the Civil War wasn't really about slavery, was it? And then I post a secession declaration, which says that their peculiar institution of slavery that they formed to protect that. Well, okay, well, mm. you see who's lying and who's telling the truth. You can see the mm-hmm. true history. You fight the revisionist history with the true history. Mm. And truth will prevail. I believe in this. I'm, I'm an eternal optimist as it concerns truth. Truth will prevail. Truth will win the day. We just have to put in the work of sharing the truth. Make it as effortless as possible because I know you got a life. I know you got a job. I know you got a family. Look, I'm not trying. I got a job. I got more than one job. I got a family. I got a wife and three kids. Look, I'm not trying to invest a lion's share of my time into this. But how much time mm-hmm. does it take to post a conveniently saved screen capture that's on my cell phone just sitting on my cell phone how much time does it take to just post that to a comment mm-hmm. no time at all and, right and, and and it's and it's always up even when you're in the bed sleep that comment is still up even when you're in the mm-hmm. bed sleep even when you're at your job even when you're playing with your kids that comment is still up people are reading people are reading and you don't even know they're reading they read all you know about is the likes but you don't know about the lurks there are people that are right. lurking, that are reading. Right. Yeah, I love that. I've yeah. never heard that. That's good. People are lurking. People are hungry for the truth. Give it to them. That's the main thing that uh, we can do. But besides that, and vote oh. for uh, candidates. So when are you running for office? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> I eventually plan on doing it. But right now I'm doing uh, each one, teach one, and I'm trying to do this. But eventually, yes, I'm very interested in maybe running for something one day. If, and we can and we can uh, keep this thing great. I don't want to make America great again. That's my problem with the MAGA hat. Because if we right. say make America great again, we're going back in time. And we don't have to go back right. in time more than 15, 20 years, 30 years to know that mm-hmm. it wasn't so great to be black in America. So if you're trying to right. go back to that, that's bad for me. That's why, mm-hmm. you know, you know, the black Republicans with the MAGA hats, like, what are y'all doing? Just make America <laughs> great again and going back. That's bad for you. Great for them. Bad for you. Right. Why would right. you want to involve yourself with that? You'll never see me in a MAGA hat. I fully believe that if I was a corpse laying in a coffin and somebody put a MAGA hat on my dead head, I believe God would allow me to resurrect just for two seconds so I could snatch that thing off my head and then go back to being dead. I fully believe that. <laughs> oh, that was funny. <laughs> I'm getting slap happy now, huh? <laughs> okay. um, Charles Johnson, thank you so much for joining me. And anytime you want to come back and talk about 
anything. You have the mic. This oh, was awesome. My, I really my, appreciate my, it. It's my pleasure. It's an honor to be with you. I love the work that you're doing, the anti-racism work that you're doing. And I want to be available to help out with that whenever and however I can. God bless you and God bless the United States of America.